Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we'll hear more than a sermon today. I pray that we would be aware that you are here with us and that you want to speak and guide our thoughts as we hear the words of your son to his disciples hours before his death. Father, it is so easy for us who are believers, who have come to peace with God through the cross of our Savior, it is so easy for us over the years to become simply a part of the church and, Lord, not to become part of your army that is going out and serving you on a day-to-day basis. And, Father, I pray this prayer for myself as well as each person that is in this room that, God, you yourself will speak to our hearts today and show us that place of service and servanthood that you have for us. Thank you for the example of your son who was willing to wash even the disciples' feet to show them how much he loved them and to set for them an example of how they were supposed to live in such a way that people saw Christ in them. Father, remind us that for many, we are the only sermon that many lost people living about us in this community, even some within our own families, we're the only sermon that they're going to hear and see during the average week. And Father, I just ask again that you would, you would just give us a new understanding of how you will strengthen us for the work that you have for us. And Lord, may we be found faithful because you are faithful unto us. Bless us in these moments ahead. For we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let me again read these verses. John chapter 13, verse 1 through 17. In the past, I've been making a lot of comments, but let me just read them. I, I can't help myself. I will make a couple of comments, okay? But listen to this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, and that's a phrase that you might want to underscore or highlight Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper laid aside his garments, and girded himself with a towel. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not now know, but afterward you will understand. And again, folks, let me underscore that. What I am doing you do not know now, but afterward you will understand. Folks, there's a question that you and I must ask ourselves. Do you and I understand why Jesus did all these things as an example for us, not just for those 12 disciples, but for you and me? We need to see the servanthood of the Son of God, not only to those 12, but to you and me. And he wants us to become the same type of servant 
to others. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is clean all over and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, you are not all clean. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, here's the question, do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. May I read that verse again, okay? And in essence, to apply that, he's not talking about literal foot washing. But if Jesus has served others then you and I are to do the same same thing. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, and this is a key, for I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Folks, I want us this morning to begin looking at these verses of Scripture in a little bit more detail, but let me again share some important information and background setting. And we've mentioned this each time, but it's important for us to understand. In chapters 13 through 17, these chapters happen in a few hours' time. A few hours. And this is Jesus' farewell address to them. And he's setting out some things that he wants them to do. And one of the first things he tells them is to serve others. And folks, in chapters 13 through 19, these are the last 24 hours of the earthly life of Jesus. And again, folks, like no other gospel writer, John can condense things down. And John wants us to see how critically important understanding those last hours were to not only the disciples, but to the church of Jesus Christ and to you and I. And let me just point some things out that Jesus does in these last chapters. In chapter 13, again, he shows them an example that he wants them to follow, and that is serving others. Also, he talks about his soon departure. And Jesus tells them that I'm going to depart and I'm going to be with the Father. Folks, don't you and I ultimately understand that when we leave this life, we're going to meet the Heavenly Father? And folks, let me tell you something about I mean, this is what I pray will touch us about what I'm getting ready to say. Not only that we are going to give an account of what we have or we have not done, but when we look at the Lord Jesus and see the nail prints in his hands and the spear mark in his side, and I'm not trying to just get you emotionally involved in this. Folks, how can we say, well, Lord, why didn't I do more? And I got a feeling that all of us are going to say, Lord, I just wish I'd have done more to show you how much I love you. And how much you mean to me. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to depart, but I'm going, I'm going home. And I'm going to prepare a place for you also. He also tells them that he is the only way to the Father. In chapters 14, 15, and 16, he promises the coming of the Holy Spirit, which will empower them. 
He promises in chapter 15 that he is the true vine and he and we are the branches and that he will bless and bear fruit through our obedience. You and I must understand that if we're willing to give ourselves in service to others, God will bless that and God will use that to touch other people's hearts and minds. We might not see it immediately, but we will see the result. Maybe our generation will not see what God is going to eventually do through what we have done for him through our children but God is going to bless it and in chapter 16 excuse me chapter 15 he says the world will hate those who follow him are you and I willing to no longer identify with the crowd that does not serve Christ but serve him in such a way that even if the world says well we don't like you anymore folks that will show that we're really serving the Lord. I'm not trying to get anybody to hate me. I don't want anybody to hate me. But folks, if we're going to serve Jesus Christ, there are going to be some people who say, you know, I don't want any of that until they come to that moment of revelation when they know why we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And in chapter 16, Jesus talks about the work of the Holy Spirit And folks, chapter 17, I would encourage you, if you haven't, you remember the first message, I ask you to read these seven chapters, uh, one a day. And if you haven't done that yet, I want to encourage you to do that, because in, in chapter 17, Jesus prays for those who follow him of all generations. But folks... It is so easy for you and I to fall prey to desiring others to serve us. But if we are going to follow the example of Jesus, then we will be the ones who are volunteering to serve. So please allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to our hearts as individuals and also as a church family as we look at these verses of Scripture. Verse 1, it is Thursday evening. Jesus has met in the upper room with his disciples in order to observe the Jewish Passover. But verse 1 of chapter 13 has a most remarkable expression. When Jesus knew that his hour had come. Folks, more than any other gospel writer, John emphasizes the fact that Jesus lived on a heavenly timetable. And again, just, just listen, folks. I think this is so important. In John chapter 2, verse 4, as, as Jesus is being uh, told by his mother to turn the water into wine, he makes a statement that I'm sure sounds just, where'd that come from? Jesus tells her, my hour has not yet come. In chapter 7, in chapter 8, chapter 7, verse 30, chapter 8, verse 20, and let me read those verses. These are two times in which they sought to arrest Jesus. Listen to this. So they sought to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. Chapter 8, verse 20. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. You see, Jesus, as the Son of God, knew that the cross was before him, that he would be completely and totally rejected, that he would be falsely accused and tried, that he would be put on a cross. But he also knew that that would not happen until the right time. And here in chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Jesus knew now everything that was getting ready to unfold according to the plan of God the Father. And it's interesting in chapter 17 as Jesus gives that prayer of intercession. 
Listen to the first thing he says in John chapter 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, What do you think he would say? He says, Father, the hour has come. Jesus knew that he was on the Father's timetable and that now the people would come and arrest him and they would put him to death. And folks, you might be saying, well, I've heard all that before. But folks, let me get you to give some serious thought to the implication of all of this for each one of us. Does God have a timetable for my life and for your life? And I believe the answer is absolutely yes. For we who have not yet, for you who might not yet have trusted Christ as Savior, there's a time to trust Him as your personal Savior. And perhaps God has offered His love, His forgiveness, His salvation to you many, many, many times. Have you received it yet? Folks, our God is going to continue to deal with you, pulling you to Himself. And folks, you'll know when that time is ready. And it might even be this morning. But here's my point. Don't continue to reject the invitation of God to come to His Son and be born into His kingdom. And folks, all you have to do, and I'm going to put this in the words of Paul, repent of sin and trust in the Son of God. Paul says in Romans 10:13 that we read earlier, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, this week, our youth, and, and, and I do not believe in putting pressure on anybody, most especially young people, to trust Christ as their Savior. I believe if we set the right example for them, if we share with them the plan of salvation, then God's Spirit will lead them to that time to trust Christ as Savior. But I hope this week that you'll be praying for those young people that are going to be going to Snowbird. Everything's going to focus on them and their walk and relationship with God, with Christ. And maybe it will be on God's timetable that some of them will receive Christ this week. But folks, does God have a timetable for you and I who are Christians? And again, the answer to that is yes. What does God want you and me doing today and with the rest of our God-given lives? How long has it been since we asked that question, Lord, what do you want me doing today? What do you want me doing with my life? And folks, so often we forget that, you know, life itself is a gift. It is truly a gift. Can you and I manufacture one heartbeat? Can you and I watch over ourselves at night to make sure that we're breathing? And my point is simply this, that our gift of life is a gift not that we created for ourselves, but that God gave us. And there's an old saying, who we are is God's gift to us. Who we become is our gift to God. Who are we becoming? Does God have a timetable for our church? What does God want us doing right now and years to come? What does he want us doing until he returns for us? And folks, again, it is so important that we, we seek God and find out what his timetable is. And folks, one of the things that Jesus is demonstrating in this passage of Scripture, one of the things that God wants us to do on this timetable of life is to serve others. 
But it says here in verse 1 that Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. And folks, again, I cannot emphasize enough, Jesus knew it would be by way of a cross and death and resurrection. But listen to what he says in chapter 17, verses 4 and 5. And these are the two, I think, two of the most glorious verses in, in the Gospel of John. Jesus says these words, John 17, 4 and 5. I glorified thee on earth, having accomplished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, Father, glorify thou me in thine own presence with the glory which I had with thee before the world was made. Jesus knew where he'd come from and Jesus knew where he was going. But he said to the Father, I have accomplished the work which you gave me to do. Folks, you and I are not the Son of God. You and I will never be able to say that we did everything that God wants us to do. But can we say, Father, we tried our best? Can we say as individuals, we tried our best? Can we say as Teresa Baptist Church, God, we didn't let anything take us off of focus on you and serving you. Jesus knew that he'd come from God and he was going back to God. And listen to this last phrase in verse 1. He loved them to the end. And folks, the New International Version translates that he now showed them the full extent of his love. I'm going to get ahead of myself. But he washes the feet of all twelve. He has told them that one is going to betray him, Judas. But he washes Judas' feet too. He loved them to the end. Folks, you and I so often are tempted to give up on loving other people. And especially if we don't feel they love us in return It must have been hard for Jesus knowing that Judas was going to stab him in the back, as you and I would say, that he was going to betray him with a kiss and turn him over to the Jewish and Roman leaders. But Jesus' whole mission had been what? Love. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. Folks, In these chapters, chapters 13 through 19, look how Jesus shows the full extent of his love. In these verses that I've read, his humble service. In the rest of chapter 13 through chapter 17, his teachings. And then, ultimately, in chapter 18 and 19, his death on the cross. Has there ever been anyone who loved the world greater than Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God? And Jesus says, bear my image in the world that you live in. Love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. Let's go to verse three, or verse 2. Just as God is at work, Satan also is at work in verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Folks, let me point something out. We're either going to be serving the Lord or we're going to be serving Satan. Is that not right? I mean, we can't stand on the fence. If we do, guess who we're serving? And, and you know, we say, well, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not doing anything. Oh, yes, we are. Look at the people that God puts us in the path of on a day-to-day basis. And, folks, I know about this 
serving Satan because I think all of us struggle with giving ourselves completely and totally to the Lord. And we get caught up in the things of the world. Judas had gotten caught up in this thing. Now Jesus is talking about dying. He doesn't want any part of that. He doesn't want to be on the losing team. Do you and I understand that we are on the winning team as Christians? If our Savior went back to heaven and said, I'm going to come back and get you, where do you think you and I are headed? We're headed to be with Him. And in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things in His hands and that He had come from God and was going to God. Folks, listen to this. Jesus knew that everything was under His power. And the New International Version translates that phrase, He knew the Father had given all things in His hands, translates it this way. The Father had put all things under His power. As believers, do you and I believe that God is still in control? Do we believe in the sovereign authority of God? Do you and I believe in the origin of Jesus, that He came from heaven and His destination, He went back? And I know I'm being repetitious, but folks, here's some of the foundations of our faith. This is not just some religious figure that you and I claim to worship. Folks, this is the very Son of God who was there at the creation. And Jesus said something, and John, well, John tells us in 1 John 4, 4, For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So often as Christians, we're defeated. And that's why we're not serving as we should, because... We not only can't, don't think we can do it, we don't see any sense. Is it, is it making a difference in the world? Why go on a mission trip? Why do anything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, it's comfortable and easy to come to church. And again, I don't want this to sound like I'm being critical. I'm wanting this to be something that wakes us up. It's so hard to leave these doors and be that person Jesus wants us to be. But folks, do you and I know that we've already won the victory? Well, that's what we sang about, wasn't it? Victory in Jesus. Folks, I want to tell you, after I was reading these passages of Scripture, these two hymns came to my mind, Victory in Jesus and Onward Christian Soldiers. Let me just again read, read, read some of the words, okay? I heard an old, old story about a Savior come from glory, how He gave His life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. O victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory neath the cleansing flow. And so often we, we think about that just in the realm of salvation. But folks, the victory goes beyond that. How about that song, Onward Christian Soldiers? I want to read to you the second stanza, okay? And I know I'm not trying to treat you like children, reading these verses. I've sang these songs ever since I, I became a Christian. And, and like many things in my life, if I do something over and over and over again, they begin to lose their meaning and their significance. Listen to the second stanza of Onward Christian Soldiers. At the sign of triumph, Satan's host does flee. On then, Christian soldiers, on to victory. And listen to this phrase. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. 
Now, I'm not saying that's biblical, but apparently the writer of this hymn felt led by the Spirit of God to make that statement. Hell's foundations quiver at the shout of praise. How can we praise God? With our mouths and with our lives, correct? And folks, I want to ask you, have we shook the foundations of hell lately because of the praises that we're giving to God through the life that we're living? And folks, again, I'm preaching this to me. Folks, look, look. If we've got all this power in us because the Spirit of God that Jesus promises in John 14, 15, and 16, if that power is within us, why are we not living victorious lives as Christians and serving? Well, I know why. It's that battle you and I face every single day, isn't it? Because we lose our focus on who is our great example and who is the example. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, it's time for me to stop. I want to just share a quick story. Surely I've shared this story with you in the past. Between my junior and senior year in, high school, uh, in college, I had to drop out for 15 months and, uh, and work like, like a real person um, in a furniture mill. And... Um, Opportunities to preach didn't come very often because, well, when I dropped out of school, there were a lot of people thought that I would never go back. And I'm not talking about me. God opened the door. It was not me. Because I became very discouraged, to be quite frank and honest with you. And there was a little mission there in Sumter, and I'm trying to remember it was either Ginyard Drive Mission or Lafayette Drive. I forget the name of it. But First Baptist Church had started a mission in one of the the poorest parts of town. And they needed someone to preach for several months while they searched for someone to be the pastor there. And so they asked me to do it. And and you cannot imagine what a thrill that was to me, but, but I learned more from the people there than they learned from me. A very small handful of people. But the man that that influenced me the most was an old man. And I can't remember now, he told me his age. He was either in his late 70s or his early 80s. He used to love to talk after church was over. He was a widower. His wife had died. And he would just hang around there and and sit and talk with me. And he told me this. He said, I can't read, I can't write, I can't teach, and I can't sing. I can't serve in a position of leadership. But I want to serve the Lord. And so he found out that the thing that he could do to serve the Lord at that church was to be the first one at the church to unlock the doors and cut on the lights. And he also would be the last one to leave church to cut off the lights and lock the doors. And that was the way that he could show the people that he loved the Lord Jesus Christ and that he loved them. And folks, I've never forgotten what that old man told me. Because you see, sometimes I think we think jobs and household and kingdom of God is below us. But it is not. And I'm saying that to myself. Perhaps it will be the small things that we have done in the name of Jesus. The ones that were done out of sight of the congregation the ones that were done simply one-on-one, 
perhaps prayers that were offered up for someone when we were by ourselves. Maybe those things are the things that the Lord Jesus is going to pat us on the back for and say, I was really proud of you when you did that. Because you weren't looking for any praise. You weren't looking to be exalted. You simply wanted to serve me. And that's what I desire. Folks, it must have shocked those disciples when Jesus took that towel and began to wash their feet. You and I need to realize that this was a job that was done by slaves in rich households. And women don't be upset with me saying this. In poor homes, the women wash the husband's feet and the children wash their parents. But here is the Son of God. And he's washing those feet. Again, he must have had to swallow. It must have been hard to wash the feet of Judas. But he did. Because he loved them to the end. Folks, I guess what I'm trying to say in all of this, here's the example. Here's the mold. Here's the pattern. Would we be obedient? Let us pray. Father, help us to see the example of your Son. And Lord, I pray that all of us would be willing to become servants of yours. Lord, we don't know in many ways what you want us to do. Some of us, Father, you've given a very clear picture of what you want us to do. And I pray that if you've done that, that, Lord, we will not walk away from what you want us to do, but by your power and strength, we would commit ourselves to be obedient. But, Father, if there are those here that, that don't have a clear picture of what you want them to do, I pray, Father, that you would make that crystal clear in these moments, most especially through this example of your Son, that we are to serve others. And that service comes because we love the Lord Jesus and because we love them. And, Father, I pray that you will help our entire church to want to be servants rather than to be served. Lord, I thank you for this body of believers. And, Lord, I know that there are many wonderful folks that on a day-to-day basis are helping others in ways that we do not know. And I thank you, Father. But I just pray, Lord, that you would increase our desire to be a servant like your son was. I pray that you will give us eyes that will see the needs of others and hands and feet that will reach out to them. And I pray, Father, that more would come into your kingdom because we serve them in the name of your Son. Bless these moments of invitation. Lord, speak in a clear way that we can understand If there's someone here that needs to trust Christ as Savior and it is your timetable that they would turn to Christ and be born into the kingdom of God, I pray, Lord, they'll do that right now. And I pray again, Lord, for us as Christians. God, I pray that we haven't lost that love that we had at first for your Son. And I pray that if we have, Lord, that we would recommit ourselves to live for Him and follow His example on a day-to-day basis. 
All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of invitation this morning is number 544, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. The altar's open. I'll be standing down here. You don't have to speak to me, but the altar's open if you'd like to come. Let us stand as we sing.